and welcome back to the Conversations podcast here at Vineyard Church Maryville. In our first episode of 2023, we have the chance to celebrate Natasha Warren and 10 years here at the Vineyard. Then we'll get an update about our brand new building, followed by a conversation between Aaron McCarter and Doug Floyd of St. Brendan's Anglican Church about Ash Wednesday and the Lenten season. We are so glad to be back here with Conversations episodes, and we hope that you'll join us on this feed every Thursday. Now, here's the episode. Uh, Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to season two of the Conversations podcast, which wild is wild. And and what's funny to me is uh, it has a title. It's the Conversations podcast. We never decided to call it that. But then I looked on the podcast feed and it said conversations and I was like, oh, that sounds right. We named it. I yeah. like it. Yeah. <laughs> That's how things happen around here often. Yeah. You just stumble into it. <laughs> yep. And the voices you're hearing, by the way, that's David Hawkins. Hey, David. Hey, guys. And my bride, Sharon McCarter. Hey, everyone. Yep. And of course, I'm Aaron. And um, yeah, it's season two and we got a bunch of cool stuff actually lined up for this season um, and uh, including uh, today. Really excited for you guys to stay, stay with us. We're going to hear from Reverend Doug Floyd. Uh, talk about the Lenten season, some mm-hmm. really interesting history behind that. Um, and so good. It yeah, really some really so reflective good. stuff yeah. that Doug's awesome. I'm so glad he came. Um, so stick around for that. But before we do that, just a couple things we wanted to tell you. Uh, building updates. Uh, as you guys know, we're moving in an amount of time. <laughs> yep. It's, <laughs> it's happening. It's happening. Things are happening. There's lots of people over there working. All right. So, David, say yeah. some words. Tell us what's happening over there. Man, there were walls that are no longer there. <laughs> That's true. There's, which is a big deal. Uh-huh. And there's, like, we're gaining some height and some ceilings in yeah. areas, which... I guess it's hard because you don't, if you've not been in the space or regardless, it's, it's opening up the space is feeling like it makes more sense. Uh Um, Doors are being put or holes for the doors. We put (laughs) in hallways that will, will help the flow of things of just a Sunday morning. Like it's all starting to come together. Mm -hmm. We were there yesterday and there's like, they cut out. Uh, parts of the concrete, which is exciting for the plumbing to for, go through, for plumbing to be in places that make sense, and for uh-huh. audio stuff. So it's man, yes. it's happening. So it is it is happening. But let's be clear, we are at the beginning oh, of totally. a very large yeah. project. Yeah, <laughs> it's so fun to see them work though, because again, this is the only building renovation we haven't done ourselves, mm. and so, so we're, awesome. we're marveling at like the the amount of people. Yeah. that are doing this, the machinery what they bring takes. in. I'm like, oh, is that how you're supposed to? <laughs> yeah. Oh. So anyways, it's That's been really fun. That's how you're supposed fun. to scrape floors. <laughs> that machine's huge. <laughs> it's yes. been good because I feel like we get to keep our day job and like people yeah. are building out a building over there and it's going to look really, really good. Mm. I love standing in the middle of it. The sanctuary right now feels huge. Mm. The lobby cafe area just feels so big. Like it's mm. just, it's going to be exciting. Um, we're, it just, it all feels like very real now. So. Uh-huh. Well, David, you said something about that's how you scrape floors. I yes. just want to, if you guys know uh, Matt Musin, who's uh, been a vice president on our financial board for a very long time, an important leader of our church. Hi, Matt. Absolutely. Um, ask him to tell you the story when he and I tried to learn together how to use one of those floor 
What are they called? Scrubber thingies? This, like buffer or spin? Buffers, yeah, yeah. This yeah. is it the just, problem. We don't even know the what thing. they're called. Yeah, and Matt and I, we were like, yeah, we, we got this. I'm we got with it. you. And yeah. then the machine came. We're like, that's a pretty big machine, but we got it. And then it, it spins. And if you don't hold it right, it will spin you. Yeah. <laughs> and so Matt and I. You're not small people. We're getting, no, we're no. big guys. And yeah. we were just getting slung all over yeah. our current sanctuary by this machine. And then my dad walks in. Who is at this point, even at that point, a senior citizen with a a lot more white hair than black. And dad was like, I got this. And then Matt and I were both like beaten up. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm not sure that's a good idea, dad. You're you've got some years on you. But he's still got that dad strength. Well, it's (laughs) yes, he does. But that has nothing to do. He knew how to do it. And so he literally ran the machine with zero effort and two fingers, <laughs> yeah. and it was like magic. He was like dancing, like yeah. floating around. Uh, why is the, this not on video? The difference of like of like good intentions and then like a skilled person. Oh my gosh, the yeah. professionals Aww. make yeah. all I think the that, difference. That describes our life. Yeah, good well, intentions. That's, <laughs> that is like I can think back personally of so many projects where I'm like I can do this. I got this. I can do this. And there have been some where it's like, yeah, that was that was a smart. Fiscal decision, and then there's been other projects where, like, well, if I didn't, like, I spent money, a lot of money, to learn some some lessons. Uh-huh. So it's, it's that. Yes, <laughs> I'm excited seeing all the work that's happening at the building mm-hmm. by people who are doing a wonderful job yeah, by and, the professionals. And we're not like YouTubing how to renovate a church. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and you mentioned the ceilings coming, like, going up. Yeah, I just I. The, there's a hallway and like, okay, well this, there's 10 foot ceilings. Um, and then when they become 12 foot ceilings, it's like a whole new world. I cannot believe the difference it makes. There's, there's like a hundred little things like that where I'm going, oh yeah, this is going to be great. So Mm -hmm. anyway, it's a big project. But it is started, yeah. it, and in and in earnest, it is happening. And now. we love so all really the people over there, that. like we're working with. We yeah. love the site guy, the construction people. I mean, right. just the relationship's good. We trust them. It's all uh-huh. that stuff's going yeah. well, and that and matters. Those were such hard decisions, man, because they were like awesome candidates, and mm. uh, so. Uh, yeah, I just feel peace about that. And then we pick some colors. How'd that go, Sharon? Was that really easy? Picking some colors? Oh, you know, you know. Do you know how many colors are out there? It's in particular, neutral. Too yes. many. There are like 600 shades of neutral, you know. So anyways, we did it, though. Mm-hmm. We picked colors. I actually feel like we did it quicker than maybe even our last couple buildings because we've been there, done that now, yeah. and we're mm-hmm. just going to pick a shade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I feel good about it. Yeah. yeah. I and feel, oh, and baseboards. That's a thing. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. all that stuff. It's it's being. I mean, that's the fun stuff. You're picking things. It's it happening. Fun. It's been good. Okay, so there's so we're kind of celebrating that that's that that's moving and like and it's exciting. Progress is happening. Uh, we are also celebrating. Um, Natasha Warren has been on our staff now for a decade, which is it's a amazing. really cool thing. Yeah. Now, you guys may remember uh, in season one of the Conversations podcast. Uh, Amy Roberts uh, hit her 10-year mark, and we had her come up and join us on the podcast, which she was happy to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. She said that was like one of her life goals, is to be on a podcast. Oh, yeah. We're making She wanted to be on a murder mystery podcast or something like that. Yeah, but, close mm-hmm. enough. But, we were, uh, but you take what you can get, and she was happy to join us. And I had a feeling that might be different with Natasha, and it is. So if you're waiting to hear her voice, it's not coming. So what we decided to do is because we're celebrating her, I just sent her an invitation 
and to see if she shows up for the recording. And I was all but certain she wouldn't. And and she's a very conscientious person. She knows. She knows. She knows. But we put we applied no pressure <laughs> to have her come talk because she doesn't like talking in the microphones. She always wants to make it very clear. Like, if I'm supposed to be somewhere, I will be there. Of course. You know what yes. I mean? Like, she, yes. she's like, I respect the leadership of the church. She's yeah. hilarious. She goes overboard. Yeah. yeah but, I could have said, yes. Natasha, you need to be there. And she'd be here. Yes. But, but why, we love But her. that would be a horrible way no, to yeah. thank her. The invitation feels, the invitation versus direction feels very kind. Yes. Yeah, so there's a sad empty chair yes. that would love to see her in. We're, re- we're ready. We're still but, ready for her. Yeah, but, oh, oh, come on over, Natasha. I did tell her, though, I said, you're under no obligation to come, but if you don't come, we'll talk about you longer. Which might be more fun. <laughs> might be. <laughs> so anyway, I, there's, there's really nothing so much to report other than, Thank God for Natasha and for a decade of her serving this church. Yeah, I mean, 10 years, that is a really big deal. Um, And I love how it just happens, too. I mean, she just went from being this, like, really faithful, you know, volunteer Mm -hmm. and then lay leader and then preschool leader and then kids pastor and now the caring community pastor. And obviously, she's a huge champion for Isaiah House and foster family night out and that kind of thing. And And marriages um, and... Relationship. I mean, groups. on and on we could go. Yeah, yes. small groups, discipleship, yeah. everything. She's just, I, she's passionate about a lot of things. And, um, but we, that's a gift to us. It's a gift to our church. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is super fun, super mm-hmm. fun too. So, and, and one of my best friends. So I'm Absolutely. super grateful Mine for too. Natasha. It's incredible when you go work with somebody for a decade and be like, all right, we're 10 years in. I've never been mad at her. I've never been let down by her. I've never been disappointed in her. I've never been embarrassed by her. Those are all negative things. But like over a decade, you're going to pick up some of those things. And she's just so relentlessly wonderful. I like that. that. I relentlessly wonderful. She's relentlessly wonderful. Yeah. Title of the podcast. It's not. I think it's I think it's her walking with Jesus. I think it's it, that that might be that. And loving her neighbor mm-hmm. for which she was recently given an award. <laughs> I love it that so much. Like, yep. <laughs> oh my goodness. Now, now she'll be mad at you. I couldn't help but chuckle when she got that. But it of course was... she's going to be given an award if there's and an that, award given. That's not an award from like Vineyard Church. That's No, a, no, no. It's like, like, like an county. Al- okay, yeah. So, yeah. I still don't even know who that's was amazing. giving the award, but I just yeah. feel like in general the entire county recognizes yeah. Natasha Warren as awesome Hon- person. Yeah, honestly it was just like if this wasn't the first year like if you picked somebody else the year before what's wrong with you that was my first thought <laughs> where it's like that's like the first time i had double stuff oreos i was like we could have done this all along this was always <laughs> an option we had the technology why do we just and if, that's if terrible there's probably these amazing people that were picked last year and we're like who who are they uh, they weren't as good as natasha <laughs> i know that it just kidding a, we don't mean disrespect yeah. absolute joy to work with natasha and oh yeah, Sharon. Um, uh, we're we're going to, and I say this in all love and affection. We're going to make her take a sabbatical. Well, you know, it's policy, and it so is. these are the type of things we have to tell her. Like it's it's not it's not a um, I don't know. It's this is not something she's invited to. Like sure. she has to take a sabbatical. Um, if you're uh, around her church very often after you are, you know, in pretty much that, that full-time pastoral ministry role, um, you need to for, take a... For 10 years. For 10 years, that's Ta- right. Yeah, that's what the paperwork says. Then you says. take a sabbatical. And mm-hmm. and that is for her own spiritual health and well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you know, we, we were going crazy when we went 
when we took ours, like we promised we're not job hunting, mm-hmm. we're not burnout, we're not this. And, you know, it was really hard to convince people. And plus there was two of us. But with Natasha, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, like hopefully our church now 18 years in has a precedent for this. It's like, mm-hmm. this is what we do. This is how we take care of pastors. Um, everyone needs a time to just be and not a time to always do. And so it, it's it's going to be hard for her mm-hmm. to take it. The hardest part right now is for her to find um, that time yeah. that she thinks we can weeks. live without her. She, yeah. she's, like, yeah. she's like, but no, this is important. And this is important. We're like, no, part of it is that, is teaching her and everyone else that we are going to be just fine. Yeah, there is a part Natasha of me that wants wasn't to doing say, what Natasha does. Yeah, like I want to say to the church, like, we're going to be okay. Yeah. Like, yeah. we're going to be all right. It's going to be a few weeks without Natasha. Yeah. It's a spiritual <laughs> and, practice for everyone. And, right. Christ and that's, and that's not a reflection because I think oftentimes it's like, oh, well, if I'll speak for myself. It's like, oh, if I'm not the one or if I'm not a part of something somehow, not that I think it's like going to be any less because I don't think that's her take on it. Right. But it's mm-hmm. this like, if, if I'm not doing it, then, then somehow I'm, you know, not taking care of things. It's, sure. Oh, it's, it's good. It's yeah. good for that rest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yes. and, uh, yeah, for her exactly. She doesn't want to burden anyone else. Oh, or, mm-hmm. But right. it, I mean, but that's the point. Like we're supposed to, like you know, load. You know you sh- yeah, carry the load mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. share the load and all the stuff. So yeah, it'll yeah. be good for her, and we all need to cheer her on. Absolutely. Yeah. And so don't panic. So we're telling you now, right? Well in advance. This is not reactionary. <laughs> right. When she takes her sabbatical, oh. she's fine. Her family's fine. Her marriage is fine. Everything's good. Yep. Uh, this is about us being so incredibly grateful for all that she's done, recognizing that uh, a time of a season of just rest and renewal and retreat will be good for her soul. And so it's all about love and appreciation. Yeah. And it's proactive. Like we want to be a yes. proactive church and not a reactive, yep. Yep. right? So it's important. Bingo. So thank God for Natasha. Amen. Love you. All right. And uh, hey, enjoy uh, hearing some insights from Reverend Doug Floyd. All right. So I am here with Reverend Doug Floyd. Hi, Doug. Thank you for coming and spending some time with us. All right. It's good to be here. Doug is an Anglican priest and a friend and... Uh, leads St. Brendan's, which is a congregation in town, and we've we've done some stuff. There's some with with St. Brendan's over the years, uh, mostly with Springbrook, which we'll get to in a little bit as well. Um, and then, as we were talking about earlier at lunch, Doug, I I actually interacted with you the very first time when I was like seven. So <laughs> we, uh, a local guy and I'm a local guy. And so it goes, goes way back. But, um, if you would, Doug, give us a, just give us kind of a rundown, you know, somebody who doesn't know, know you or anything about you. Um, kind of how, how, how'd you get here? What's the paint with broad strokes? Tell us, tell us the story and then we'll, okay. we'll see where it goes from there. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I haven't always been Anglican. I, mm-hmm. I grew up Baptist, uh, had a encounter with the Holy Ghost in mm. uh, college, and, but I didn't plan to leave the Baptist church. I thought I'd mm-hmm. just, and, and, and as a Baptist, I thought my main ministry would be pulpit ministry, okay. preaching, because that's sort of the focal point. Right. But. So you're going to be one of those Bapticostals? Is exactly. That the plan? <laughs> Good. But then the way things turned out, I ended up working 
in a black Pentecostal church, which, uh, and I worked with people who were drug addicts and homeless, and and it changed my whole philosophy of ministry, really. Mm. Just being around people that were really needy. Yeah. Uh, just being present to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, sort of having Bible studies. Mm-hmm. So then I thought I'd do that from then on, but as it turns out, I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> I ended up working with a Catholic halfway house, and uh, then I decided to go back to school and leave the ministry, but do film. But then I ended up feeling like I know I'm supposed to do ministry, so I worked in a Quaker church when I was in graduate school. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're a real religious mutt. <laughs> so anyway, I like to, uh, I've always drugged my wife to all sorts of things. Uh-huh. I, I always like to tell this story, I've drug her to a a Celtic church in Atlanta uh, <laughs> that met in a guy's basement. It was just him and his wife. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I've taken her into everything. Uh-huh. And, and some strange twist, I ended up uh, getting connected with the Anglicans. Mm-hmm. And uh, before you knew it, I became Anglican, just hanging around him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you, you said earlier that Anglicanism was really... It, or at least you got sort of leaning that in that direction when you got interested in church history in particular. Is yes. That, is that right? So I was very interested in church history. And uh, I I had a house church and started doing my own, uh, I guess you'd call piece together liturgy. Mm-hmm. In fact, we were, uh, we had, con- we had so many kids at one point, we had to rent a building, mm-hmm. but I made it converted it into like looking like a living room and mm-hmm. I thought well we're doing something nobody in the country's doing and uh-huh. then New York Times had an article about all these churches that had popped up <laughs> call even called the living room really I thought, okay so obviously uh-huh. <laughs> nothing new under the sun I'm not original <laughs> <laughs> yeah but we tried our own version of liturgy because mm-hmm. uh, I liked ancient prayers I, I mm. began to find I think uh, especially as a charismatic I I reached a point where I was tired of my own prayers. It sounded like I was hmm. just rehearsing the same phrases and it didn't yeah. feel. That's when I discovered ancient prayers that are hmm. really rich. Mm-hmm. That was my way in. Really. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So anyway, yeah. and then when I became Anglican, uh, obviously uh Turns out I was I didn't even really understand how the real rhythms of liturgy. Mm-hmm. Not until I started doing it within a, a formal context. Yeah, and and then I I thought well I was just like a typical postmodern American. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, piecing together stuff and sure. Anyway, I don't think it was wrong. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm happy when people do stuff like that. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that uh, that windy path of yours is is part of why you're such a, a gift to so many people in this town and to us around here. Honestly, there are lots of times, well, I'm a lots, but plenty of times over the years that we've thought, well, you know, what would somebody with a more liturgical bent say about that? And it's like, well, let's call Doug. <laughs> well, what would a charismatic say about that? Well, let's call Doug. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> what would somebody who's got 
history in oh. a multicultural context, say. Well, uh-huh. let's call uh-huh. Doug. There's a lot of times it's like, well, let's ask Doug Floyd. That's um, great. <laughs> yeah, that background helps a lot. And then our, our paths crossed, at, and and I only barely remember it, and I know you don't, and it would I, it would be weird if you did. So, um, <laughs> But at, when you mentioned being at a, a, a multicultural, primarily black, but multicultural Pentecostal church here in Blount County, bunch of years ago there was a real sort of revival wave happening at that moment and I was you were on staff at that church when I was like a little kid was popping in with my family and kind of seeing what God was doing there and being encouraged by that because I I remember as a kid um, you know here we are in Blount County I mean it's overwhelmingly white (laughs) but I remember being uh, just thinking it was so cool that Hey, wow, there's, this is a diverse space. Now, it's not language I would have used as yeah. a seven or eight-year-old or whatever it would have been, but um, but just feeling how different it was and how how exciting that yeah. was. Um, so I remember you and I, you were leading a, uh, a silent retreat uh, that I went on. Gosh, I'm really bad at this. Maybe four or five years yeah, ago it was. Yeah, that's about right. And... Um, and when I when I made that connection, realized that you had been at that church, I was just I was blown away, and I was like, I do, I do remember seeing you. Um, then all sort of it all sort of flooded. So, um, man, I I I, uh, I really appreciate you taking time oh, yeah. to share with our church, and um, you know, in these podcast conversations, we've got space to maybe hit a subject that we we might not spend a ton of time on on a Sunday yeah. morning when we've got sort of a limited limited run there. Um, and we pick some topics and kind of lean in. And uh, I'd, I'd love it if we could spend a few minutes uh, talking about Lent and the Lenten season. Um, and uh, so February 22nd, I think, is Ash Wednesday, right. the beginning of Lent. Um, so, um, man, you take it wherever you want, but, you know, keep in mind we're here we are in sort of this low church environment, <laughs> you know, and you've yeah. got experience in low church and high church. Actually, why don't we do this? Why don't we start here? Will you give us a? Will you tell me the difference between low church and high church? Because that 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 terminology may not make sense to oh, yeah, yeah. to everybody. How would you define those things? I put you on the spot with that one, but well, uh, you know, I would say low church is very is informal, mm-hmm. very informal, and and maybe uh, maybe more open to uh, innovation. Mm-hmm. You know. Typically, when you say high church, you're meaning uh, sort of a commitment to tradition, mm-hmm. which for many people is a bad word, you mm-hmm. know. And so, and for others, it's a wonderful word. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and so, in that sense, there is a certain formality mm-hmm. uh, to high church. Yeah, and 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 uh, I, I think both are appropriate. Yeah, low church and high church. Agreed. I like them. And in England, if you went to England, there are low church Anglicans that mm-hmm. don't wear a collar and barely follow a liturgy. Okay. Yeah. And then there are high church Anglicans who fire up the incense and do the whole deal. Smells and bells and the <laughs> yeah. whole nine yards. Yeah, that's right. We have a we have a mutual friend, Chris Chris Cairns. Yeah. And uh, I was talking to him, and he's Anglican bishop. Is that correct? Well, or? he's a, no, not a bishop, but he yeah. he was an Anglican church planner. There we right go. now he's a chaplain. Okay, in the in the uh, military. So a long time ago, like mm, 
easily more than 10 years ago. I was having a lunch with him, and <laughs> we were talking about the differences in our churches, and um, and it was sort of the high church, low church conversation. And and he's, he said, you know, what's so important to people in our congregation is is they know what to expect week to week. They come and they, they know the prayers that will be said, the the exact liturgy that we'll be walking through. I mean, I, that's not the language he used, but that was yeah. he was like, that predictability, that formality is really comforting to people. It means the world to them. And he said, what about your church? And I said, I change things just for the heck of it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and he laughed. And, um, <laughs> and, you know, it's funny. I, that was a good long time ago. And now actually... I've settled into something in between with that. Yeah, yeah. Where now I don't change things just for the heck of it all the time. Uh, before, I just thought, I don't know, it sounds like fun. Let's surprise people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, give, give them something to talk about at lunch. Um, and I realized there are so many people who find uh, comfort and familiarity and peace in something that is you, where you basically know what to expect, yeah, to put it true. in a real sort of basic way. Um, and then we still try to hold on to, you know, some of the, some space for innovation. We try to we, we've tried to blend them a little bit. I don't know how well it works, but that's kind of what we've yeah, settled cool. into. Uh, you know, so we we say we have a sending prayer that we say at the close of every service, and that 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 routine for that liturgy for me is absolutely precious. Yeah. Um, uh, it would be at this point a tremendous loss to me personally if we stop closing our services in that way. So. Even though I'm the guy who likes to change things just for the heck of it, um, <laughs> I really see the value in it. Um, so, okay. So, high church environments, more structured or more formal environments, yeah. more traditional or liturgical environments, tend to pay more attention to the church calendar and therefore spend more time um, and, and more emphasis perhaps on Lent and the Lenten season. But for a, a, you know, a low church environment like, like we're used to here at the Vineyard, um, can you, I mean, talk to us like we're five years old, like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is it? Let's start like ground one, ABCs yeah, yeah. of Lent. So Lent is, uh, the, the very oldest, let me say this, the very oldest celebration in the church calendar is Easter. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Lent would be the, probably the next oldest. Mm-hmm. And so it. This is kind of interesting. It originally was a, uh, it, it wasn't originally called Lent, but the, it was the season. So Easter is when uh, people were baptized in the church. Mm-hmm. And so the season prior to that would be people who were wanting to enter the church and would, who would be referred to as catechumens. Mm-hmm. And the concern in the church the early church was because many of the people that were coming into the church were coming from pagan cults. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, a, an extended season of preparation. Mm-hmm. And literally, the church considered that exorcism. Really? Yeah. So this is a purging of all of the... Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wonder how much there may have been truth to that, at least in some cases. That's right. Yeah. So it was it it the the earliest uh period uh we we know in the first 3 centuries people may have only fasted 2 to 3 days mm-hmm. not an extensive fast mm-hmm. 
but it was a long season of teaching. In fact, this is kind of interesting. The bishops were so popular then, and of course, I don't think people worked like we do in America and Germany. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the amount of hours we work, mm-hmm. um, people would turn up. So the the bishops would be teaching, uh, catechizing mm-hmm. the people who were to be baptized, but. Their Which talks, a catechism just for that's kind of lays the foundation of our faith. We believe yeah, yeah. this as opposed to that and gives people a strong foundation. Yeah. Yeah. The bishops this sounds crazy, but uh, according to Yaroslav Pelikan, who was a great church historian, he said the bishops were kind of like rock stars. People showed up wow. whether they were getting baptized or not just to hear him talk. <laughs> wow. That yeah, crazy? that's how it is at my church. What about you, Doug? Are yeah, you, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I cannot relate. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's hilarious. So, that's cool. Anyway, that period leading up, well, you know, was a preparation. Now, what happened after the Council of Nicaea, it would seem that that 40-day period gets a little more formalized, mm-hmm. and, uh, and as does fasting. Mm-hmm. And so there's a whole lot of things associated with fasting. But essentially, first off, I might say something about 40 days. They were duplicating the uh, 40-day pattern all through Scripture. Uh, yes. Yeah. So yeah. They, a time of testing and preparation. Uh-huh. And I understood, as I've understood it, and I could be wrong, particularly that emphasis is on Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness. Yes. And it's looking to sort of mirror that to some extent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. And so, uh, and then fasting... If you can imagine, nowadays things are more, almost, I don't know, almost hardened into a regular form. But then uh, people across the empire probably had different fasting patterns. Mm -hmm. But the earliest, after Nicaea, the fasting was, uh, they they, they didn't eat during the day. Mm -hmm. And after three o'clock, they would eat a meal. Mm Mm-hmm. It would probably be a light meal. Uh, it may or may not have fish, probably mm-hmm. no meat. Mm-hmm. And um, so actually you can see Ramadan, the Muslim holiday, is clearly patterned after the Christian uh-huh. Lent. Yeah, it is. And so uh, huh. people would eat later in the day. Now, what I've read is uh, sometimes people would wait till later in the day and then have a big feast, which uh-huh. is not really the idea of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> so they would eat a light meal. And, and so this might help... So I've looked at fasting a lot, particularly as an old Pentecostal. You know, there are all these books on fast your way to a breakthrough. Yeah, that's right. Uh, So it does not appear the Bible talks about fasting that way. Uh, (laughs) Normally, (laughs) fasting is, uh, it's almost always communal. Mm -hmm. Not always, Mm. but it's almost always communal. And it is either like a time of mourning Mm -hmm. when something's going wrong or, or maybe fasting when community seeking God's counsel. Mm. And so mm. um, that appears to be the most common pattern in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And so that so the, so the early church begins to incorporate fasting as a preparation for baptism. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, uh, let's see, what was I going to say about fasting? So it incorporates this, it eventually becomes like a 40-day kind of, fast, although it's not 40 days with no food. Yeah. Uh, so it was a light fast, you might say. Right. So it gets formalized in different ways, probably in different places. It takes a yeah, different yeah. shape over time, and then maybe over the course of centuries, it starts to congeal into a more 
consistent picture in the church? Is yeah. that would that be accurate? Yeah. Oh, this is what I was going to say too. So, yeah. especially the Desert Fathers, they understood fasting. Uh, fasting as a way of freeing us from our own maybe obsession with things that are distracting. Mm. So if I want to hear God, fasting was a way to clear my mind Mm -hmm. and and to help me be more in tune and more focused. Mm -hmm. Now, over time, the fasting has taken different shapes. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I always tell people the most common fast in the church is uh, to not eat meat on Wednesdays or Fridays. Mm-hmm. Wednesdays because Jesus was betrayed on Wednesdays, mm-hmm. Fridays because of the crucifixion. Mm-hmm. And so that's a pretty light fast. Right. It's just, and that's why you have fish, you know, people mm-hmm. would eat fish on <laughs> fish Get that Fridays. protein one way or another. Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't have to be super intense. Right. The modern concept of fasting where we give up one item mm-hmm. is... Uh, uh, I don't know, you know, it, it, and there's nothing wrong with it, but it's not mm-hmm. really that historic. Right. Uh, and I, I actually think, given the culture we live in, um, I'll say historically fasting is always about food. But mm-hmm. given the culture we live in, we are so distracted. Uh-huh. Uh, there might be other ways we think of fasting to help us focus, because that's really what it's about. Right. Whether it's a fasting of technology or... You know, setting aside time that I have a clear time to focus and wait upon the Lord. Yeah, I think that's good. So scripturally, historically, fasting is about withholding food. Yeah. Um, But the the heart behind that is really about eliminating distractions. Yeah. Um, And I tend to think as well, I wonder if you would agree or disagree. I tend to think also that um, it's a way of demonstrating... I'm not sure what the spiritual significance is of this other than just um, our own, maybe building our faith a bit, demonstrating to ourselves that we actually can exercise a modicum of control over the flesh. Yes. Like I don't have to get or take or consume whatever I want. Yeah. Um, I think there's an element of that too. Um, But um, yeah, so it's taken different shapes at different times. But what I hear you saying is, Maybe that's appropriate, especially given the changes we've experienced societally. So, oh, yeah. 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 In fact, what's fascinating about Lent is uh, a few years ago, I found, uh, I don't know if you'd call it instructions or a website on Lent for Atheists. Oh, wow. Uh, so there, there was some sense of the overindulgence in our culture uh-huh. and the recognition that maybe this rhythm of, of cutting things off. Uh-huh for a season would, would benefit everybody. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, if I, yeah, I think that's happened on a broader scale too. Like if I were going to scroll through a, a news app, um, it wouldn't be long before I found an article about fasting, but it almost certainly wouldn't be religious. It would yeah, probably yeah. be health-related or there's a lot of trends right now, uh, dietary trends that are around fasting that have nothing to do with the spiritual aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah. But I, yeah, people, I think, feel that overindulgence, feel like they're out of control. And, and there is a sense in which I think a fast can say, okay, you can't exercise control. But scripturally and historically, that's really not what it's been about. That's yeah. kind of what I'm, I think I'm hearing you say. Yeah. 
Yeah. There's a great uh, story from the Desert Fathers that uh, one of the fathers is on a fast, and the young uh, novice is with him fasting, and then uh, some guests show up at his door, and he prepares them honey cakes and sits down mm -hmm. and eats with them. And and the novice is like, well, I thought you were fasting. Mm -hmm. He's like, hospitality trumps it. Wow, yeah, <laughs> that's, that makes sense. Hmm. So, so it's not, uh, I think ironclad laws are problematic. Yeah, that's good. I actually kind of wanted to ask you a little bit about that because, you know, there are churches in which um, I think there's an expectation or more of, more of an established tradition around Lent. But um, part of what I'm hearing you saying is that even though this has a long, long history, this is history that starts after the writing of Scripture. So it's not as if we can point to these verses and say, you should practice Lent, or it would be right. a sin if you didn't. <laughs> right. um, so what would you say about that? You know, I'm sure that you've had seasons where you did and did not exercise Lent and and people, I think, will put a bit of guilt and shame on themselves, or especially if they're inclined to look for a, you know, the the, the personality that really needs the the list of Christian shoulds and should nots. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This might add to that list, and that would kind of be missing the point, wouldn't it? Oh yeah. The uh, so I have had, uh, you know, I have kidney disease and have had health issues, uh, which actually means, especially in my later years, I couldn't fast. Mm. Uh, so I, I do other things and I tell people it's sure. not a, you know, you can, you can observe Lent in, in, a, in a different way, in your mm -hmm. own way. The big thing is setting aside time. There's three, three, uh, practices that are part of what, what the church calls okay. a penitential season. Mm. So it's fasting, prayer, and, uh, almsgiving, okay. giving specifically to the poor, mm -hmm. but, uh, so there are other disciplines we can practice, mm -hmm. uh, but certainly if a person's fasting but they're not able to set, set aside time to pray and meditate, mm -hmm. it's probably defeating the purpose. It's probably of a diet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so. interesting. You said uh, fasting, prayer, and and giving to the poor in that order. I think that's the order in which they get emphasized um, in or at least in my yeah. experience in churches today, we talk a lot about, well, what are you going to set down for Lent? Yeah. And then, oh, yeah, this is supposed to be a season of reflection. <laughs> and then I hardly ever hear about, oh, yeah, we're, we should be giving above and beyond to the poor. So why do you think that's a piece of it, the almsgiving? Oh, well, I think, one, it is just rehearsing, you know, the biblical call to the poor, Yeah. which I'll say... Growing up evangelical conservative, uh, that somehow got got hidden along the way. But it's pretty obvious yeah. in Scripture, uh, giving to the poor is a pretty big idea. Yeah, there are a few thousand verses that yeah. <laughs> in, uh, so, in that direction. Um, and there's a wonderful uh, proverb, you know, uh, he who gives to the poor loans to the Lord. Mm. And so just the discipline of uh, giving of our, you know, we are abundantly blessed, mm -hmm. but uh, even if we weren't, giving would be important, but giving mm -hmm. the, in, in our abundance, a habit of giving to the poor. In a way, these three penitential disciplines 
mm-hmm. are, are good to be practiced all year round. But Yeah, amen. Uh, so in one sense, by focusing intently on it over this Lenten period, it uh, might develop a pattern of uh, letting go. Mm-hmm. That's the way I think of uh, uh, almsgiving. In one mm-hmm. sense, it's letting go. Yeah, that's uh, right. I'm, I'm, I'm letting go of the things, the clinging to the things that I think I need. Maybe I need to give those things away. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so that's good. Uh, I need to let things uh, sort of be free from the control of money or objects or things like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So what about this? Let's say someone in your congregation or, or somebody, I don't know, well, somebody at Vienna. You have a whole other congregation at Vienna. Yeah. That yeah. seems obvious to me. <laughs> there are people, there's always like a, a group of people hovering around Reverend Doug. That's funny. <laughs> um, but somebody comes to you and says, okay, Doug, I've, I've never done this before, uh, but I've, I've, I've heard about people observing Lent. It's kind of in my mind. I think I'm going to do it for the first time. What's your advice? Okay. How, would you, how would you point them? Well, I would encourage them. Uh, first off, it's okay to ease into it. Okay. Uh, and, and I would encourage them to complement whatever. I, I, I think the habit of giving up something, I have thought before, it, like I said earlier, it might be giving up something other than food. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people, there was a season for several years I quit watching the news. Mm. And, and, uh, <laughs> yes, I got. I would love for some people to take that yeah. one up. Okay, go ahead. So Sorry. that broke me from my addiction to politics. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I, I, yeah. Yes, it's perhaps the most damaging addiction uh, yeah. around, the fastest growing one, anyway. But that's a whole yeah, other yeah. subject. So, so it might be, it might be food. It might be. I like the idea of maybe skipping lunch. Okay. And taking that time to pray, still mm-hmm. go out on a lunch break, but mm-hmm. take that time uh, maybe to sit with Scripture mm-hmm. and just reflect on it. Yeah. Uh, to sort of slow down. And, and, and it might be that in the process you develop new patterns. Yeah. But, but one of the things I did that got me into the whole liturgical year was I started writing... Uh, during Lent, I wrote about the desert, you know, and, and, and mm-hmm. uh, Abraham in the desert, Moses in the desert. Mm-hmm. I would write little meditations back in the day before Facebook. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, when email lists were big. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I had a, a group of people I would email, and it gave, we had little discussions over when I would write something up. Uh, but it gave me a way to meditate on the desert, which simultaneously, hmm. I guess, brings focus on our own need. The desert often brings a, uh, an awareness of our need for healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that, that we are, are broken. And, and in the desert, all our devices we've used to mask our brokenness are exposed. Mm-hmm. And so symbolically, mm-hmm. the desert did that for me. Yeah, And then these great. disciplines kind of complement that absolutely so that's what i would encourage people is to maybe take time with scripture uh you know if it's just the during lunch or whatever mm-hmm. and and quiet themselves and out of that let the disciplines uh of of giving or fasting or or uh, prayer let those flow out of that yeah 
sort of quiet place. Mm. Yeah, part of what I hear you saying, and that's amazing, by the way, um, just the idea of, well, why don't you fast lunch and then lean into and use that time and specifically for, for prayer and for scripture and, and focusing on the Lord. Like, I think sometimes people, you know, part of it, you're taking something away. But if you don't intentionally fill it with something else, then just right. more of the stuff of the world, or maybe you end up spending another hour watching the news, and that's not yeah. going to be any good. That's <laughs> <laughs> probably a net loss. Um, but what part of what I hear you saying is um, it's really important to disturb your natural rhythm, you know, and yeah. to bring in a different pattern, and to, if nothing else, to to sort of break you out of routines that may not be healthy. And then you also said maybe some new ones stick in, play, stick in place and, exactly. and, and turn out to be really helpful moving forward. Yeah. Now, yeah. yeah, I, I will say this. I didn't, uh, just as a highlight, if anybody is thinking about giving up something for Lent, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, uh, the church recognized that on Sundays, it's when the community gathers, take communion, Mm-hmm. It's a day of celebration, so it's. They, they said it was actually anathema to fast on a Sunday. Interesting. So if you did give up something, uh, <laughs> see how easy a lot, a lot of the church things are not as strict as it seems. Yeah. So Sunday was the day, like, okay, we're not fasting today. <laughs> That's good. You know, a lot of people. I, actually, just a couple of years ago, I had somebody come up to me and said, "You said something about forty days of Lent or observing Lent," and and you're like, "You told me when it started, and I that's more than forty days." So it's been, they had actually done the math and said that's 46 days. Now, can you tell us why that would be the case? Yeah, so that was, so uh, the church, um, because they didn't want people to fast on Sundays, mm-hmm. they actually backed the start of Lent, Lent mm-hmm. up. They backed it up a little mm-hmm. to, uh, to cover those Sundays. And that's how we get Ash Wednesday. Yes, okay. So Ash Wednesday marks the beginning of Lent. Mm-hmm. And an interesting, now this is totally bizarre. There's so many bizarre things from church history. And this one will be bizarre to people. So <laughs> in the early centuries of the church, if a person committed a probably a pretty serious sin, mm-hmm. they, would, they would have to be readmitted to the church. It was so mm-hmm. penitence was uh, a one-time deal to be readmitted. That's why many people didn't get baptized till the end of their life. And so hmm. what the church did uh, for the people who were penitents is at the start of Lent that, that these penitents would be much like the people who were preparing to be baptized, the catechumens. Okay. But the penitents would start Lent out. There would be a formal liturgy hmm. where they were kicked out of the church oh, like wow. Adam and Eve being kicked out of the garden. Oh, my goodness. And they were to wear sackcloth and ashes, which was really? the Old Testament form of... Uh, Morning, uh-huh. uh, and that's where the a- the ashes come from. Oh. So they would be wearing. Uh, so if you can imagine people going around <laughs> with sackcloth and ashes on their heads, and uh-huh. then at Easter when the uh, catechumens are being baptized, the penitents would be readmitted to the church. I see. And so essentially, what that's happened is interesting. Uh, yeah. Gregory the Great in the seventh uh, century, he kind of. One of the great things he did was sort of try to bring the whole, uh, all the different practices in a little bit more uniform. Mm-hmm. And so he, he, so then 
Ash Wednesday becomes a little more formalized and we are marked with ashes. I see. You know, remember that you're dust and to dust you will return. Mm -hmm. And so it is a reminder of our own utter humanness. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so it begins the season with a a very somber time of meditation. Mm -hmm. But as a whole, uh, as the late Pope Benedict said, uh, Lent should be a time of joy, not a time of... It's not for, I've always felt like, me growing up in very fundamentalist churches, uh, repentance was people putting on a real dour face. And, that's right. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not the biblical pattern of repentance. It's simply mm-hmm. turning, mm-hmm. letting the Lord show me what, what I've held on to, which mm-hmm. I actually go so far, and I'll, I'll, I'll quit rambling here, but <laughs> so Lent gives me a time for personal examine. Okay, that's good. I think it's a big uh, piece of it, yeah prepare me for sort of a fresh renewing of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. But I think part of our heritage in the American church, maybe because of the Puritans, although I'm not against Puritans, I like them, but Mm -hmm. an overemphasis on examine. Mm -hmm. And it becomes a form of selfishness. Yeah, it does. Uh, so, So rather, seasons like Lent and Advent are seasons set aside for that. And then... So I'm not always obsessing over what secret sin I don't, <laughs> I don't I know about. Right. I take a time of examine, searching my heart, seeking the Lord. And then other seasons, God has me doing other things. Yeah. Right? Well, that's interesting. So because you have a season that you know is marked out for that, then um, you don't feel the need to sort of carry the the wonder of have I appropriately... <laughs> reflected on my own sinfulness, scum of the earth, mortification of the flesh, etc. Yeah, yeah. It's like no, I'm, I actually am, I'm taking I'm taking care of it. What that made me think of is is uh, people who, um, who who will say, you know, every time I see somebody asking for money in whatever context, whether it's an individual or organization, a commercial, I just feel so guilty if I don't give. And to me, that goes well. Sounds to me that you're not confident you're already living a lifestyle of generosity. If you knew that you were, you wouldn't be you wouldn't be so bothered by every single person who asks for yeah. anything. Sounds like you're saying something similar like that. It's built into my rhythm, times of examination, um, and considering what secret sins might be looming. Keys sort of in essence frees me from it the rest of the calendar year. Yeah. Is that what you're driving at? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know when I was in college, I think many people had this kind of experience. I didn't think I could start praying until I spent a good 10, 15 minutes just groveling before Uh God about how evil I was. Uh And one day he interrupted me and said, "Uh, that is all you working. Mm. It has nothing to do with grace. Yeah, (laughs) that is right. That is earning if ever there was. And and so the reality is if if as, as believers, the Holy Spirit can easily convict us Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to feel like an overburdening of guilt, which mm-hmm. is so mm-hmm. often artificial. Mm-hmm. He he can just say, hey, quit acting that way. Yeah, that's right. I, I was listening to a, a bishop last weekend talk about one of the people in his church was excited about something, and he he was online recording, talking about it, and he didn't have a shirt on. Mm-hmm. And the bishop called him up and said, hey, dude, put on a shirt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that is a very natural form of how the Holy Spirit conviction goes. Yeah. Hey, quit 
Yeah, cut it out, man. Yeah, cool it. You know, quit judging that dude. Pray for him. <laughs> that's really good. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. I haven't talked to folks about repentance, and I say, imagine this: if you, let's say, if you locked yourself in the room for two solid hours and you did nothing but repent, how do you think you would feel on the way out? And and most people say, oh, I would be exhausted. I would feel like <laughs> chewed meat. I'd just be miserable. And it's like, no. If, if so, you didn't do it right. You would emerge freer, lighter. Uh, more aware of God's grace and forgiveness and exactly. joy. Like you should be on cloud nine when you walk out of that room if you, exactly. did, if you did that. But people often don't see it that way. I think especially the history, I didn't know that about the uh, penitents who were in a season <laughs> of sackcloth and ashes and all that. Really, that really does help because there is sort of a... Yeah, I've heard people say things like this. Um, why would I practice or why would I observe Lent um, it's, it's just a month and a half to feel bad about myself <laughs> and think about how horrible I am. And, um, people have got that not from nowhere, but it really is. It's misconstruing what yeah, it's about exactly. and what the season's for. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it should be a season of, of really joy preparing me for the great joy, mm. you know, Easter, which is the great feast, which in, in the timeline of uh, the church calendar, Easter is a 50-day event. Uh-huh. That's so right. going to 50 days of feasting, mm-hmm. you know. And so, it's, you know, so is Epiphany and uh, feasting time. And I can't count the churches, and I mean churches I came from, that we would have Christmas and then we'd go into a fast. Uh-huh. Right when the whole church historically is feasting. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, there are a lot of January fasts yeah. that churches do. Yeah. And it's kind of... And yeah. it's because... I think if we had a rhythm of feasting and fasting, we live in a culture that just overindulges it every minute. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. actually a rhythm of that might break that overindulgence. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and we would that's know how to feast properly and how to fast properly. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, that's uh, really fascinating. I'm going to have to like get out my journal and spend some time on that. <laughs> <laughs> that's a really interesting thought. Um, yeah, so another another sort of mis, misperception I've heard. <laughs> I just can't help it. This is, I guess, me saying something. There's not a question in it. I have noticed a, <laughs> a couple of times when people say, hey, what are you going to do for Lynn? Or what are you going to... And people will say, I'm going to stop filling the blank. And the blank, what they're filling the blank in is something that's very obviously sin. Like, I'm going to stop oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. this sin for this period. And yeah, I always yeah, yeah. want to raise my hand and go... I think that just means being a Christian, you're going to walk in submission to Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> we're yeah, not yeah. looking to fast sin. We're fasting sin by, because we're because we've pledged allegiance to the King of Glory. <laughs> this is about setting aside something something different. Um, so tell us uh, if you would a bit about now. You mentioned Ash Wednesday and where that came from, but your church, St. Brendan's Hope, hosts a an Ash Wednesday service. And over the years, our, our Springbrook location, yeah. we sort of have, have snuck in and, <laughs> and joined you for that. Um, tell us about that, because I, at the end here, I'm, I'm going to invite our congregation oh, to, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. To, to pop in and, so and we, join you. I have uh, always tried to do Ash Wednesday at the library. Mm-hmm. I wasn't able to do it during COVID. They uh, mm-hmm. weren't renting the rooms. But the reason being is, m- one of my issues, so I mentioned Yaroslav Pelikan earlier, great church historian, and he said uh, the church often grew after... Uh, uh, on on Easter, it, basically in in a big city, mm-hmm. the people would parade from church to church. It'd be an all day affair. Really, and and it was a form of evangelism. 
Yeah. And and uh, ecumenical too. Yeah. So it was a public liturgical act. Huh. And so I thought I would like to do public liturgical acts. Yeah. And and the Catholic Church, I, I, some Catholic churches do. Uh, uh, I've seen I've I've driven by where they're like recreating. Uh, Jesus carrying the cross outside. Oh, like the stations of the cross? Yeah, yeah, where the stations of the cross. Uh-huh. So they, these are outside acts that other people can join in. Yeah. And so that was my idea with Ash Wednesday, mm-hmm. is to make it a, a, a public event. Mm-hmm. And as a result, we've had people just wander in from the library. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've often had quite a mix of people. Mm-hmm. And it's a great time to introduce them to sort of this... The way I think of the church year is rhythm. So to introduce people to this rhythm Mm -hmm. and this practice, I will say this learning to live into this rhythm all goes back to the way the, the uh, old Testament, they remembered events through physically reenacting them. Mm. So their, their calendar of the year, like Passover, the various events of the year, Mm -hmm. they're reenacting different aspects of their pilgrimage out of Egypt yeah. Across sure. the wilderness, the promised land. So in a way, we're doing that, mm-hmm. only we're doing it through the life of Christ. Okay, yeah. And so, like you said earlier, we're entering into the, the fast of Jesus mm-hmm. uh, to prepare us for Easter. Mm-hmm. But it is a way of remembering. Mm-hmm. And so these rhythms, and so Ash Wednesday marks us out. So I always, yeah, I welcome people to come to Ash Wednesday. It's a very simple service. Mm-hmm. It's usually about an hour. Okay. And, and uh, it... <clears throat> and not everybody even has to get the ashes, but yeah. many people nowadays want the, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> they want people to know they've been at an Ash Wednesday service. <laughs> yeah, a little virtue signaling yeah. going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when yeah I was Bible little, Belt edition. <laughs> when I was little, we lived in New Jersey, and of course we were in a predominantly Catholic area. And yeah. I didn't know what Ash Wednesday was, but we would see. I'm sure, you know, a lot of people walking around with Suddenly them. you'd see that show up on people. And sometimes I even, as an adult, before practicing Ash Wednesday, be like, oh, you got something on your head. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it all opens up a conversation usually. And where do those ashes traditionally come from? So This is cool. The palm leaves that uh-huh. we use on Palm Sunday are burnt, mm-hmm. and they're, they're turned into the ash. And so I was, some of the earlier uh, Ash Wednesday services, I have some of these books in my Bible software from the 1800s, and they have the best history on liturgical stuff. Mm-hmm. So apparently in the, uh, what used to happen was they would bring the palm leaves to the Ash Wednesday service and burn them during the service. During the service, wow. Now that doesn't typically happen. It's, uh-huh. it's done beforehand, but yeah. I thought that's pretty interesting. Yeah, that is. Uh, so they would burn them before the service, and then they would even uh, sprinkle water on them, which is always a sign of baptism. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not exactly sure why they sprinkle water. It's not clear to me. Yeah. But, uh, and then of course, uh, so then you're carrying on that memory from the church year. Yeah, that's good. The palm Kind of brings it full circle. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. And, and it, and it's not morbid, you know, it's, it's just like, uh, the the medieval monks kept a, a, um, skull on their desk. Mm-hmm. Uh, to remind themselves of their death, their impending death, but it's yes. not really morbid, in the sense that it actually is freeing. Mm-hmm. The man who uh, doesn't feel like he has anything to defend is kind of free. Yeah, that's right. And so, in that sense, Ash Wednesday has that kind of feeling to it. 
yeah. that I'm being marked. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I don't have to hold on to anything. I don't have to lay claim to anything. I'm, I'm, I'm a dead man walking. Yeah, that's but good. But I'm also a live man. I'm a man who's known the resurrection of Christ. So. Yeah, that's good. So if they want to attend that service, it's February 22nd at the Blount County Public Library at what time? Do you know? Uh, 7. 7 p.m. Yeah. It'll be about a, about an hour. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we want to invite anybody. Yeah, yeah, I'd love it. It's an it, open open service if people want to come and be a part of it. Yeah, it's a... Yeah. We hand out... It is kind of a liturgies, but we hand out bulletins. Mm-hmm. And it's not that hard to follow. And it's, you know, it's a unique service. Actually, the liturgy from that service is a great Lenten thing to carry because mm. it has prayers of repentance yeah. that we might never think about. Uh, yeah. That's what I do like about liturgy. There are prayers that I would never think about. Yeah. And so th- this is a litany of uh, prayers that you could you could pray during Lent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, our, our prayers, I mean, it's perfectly fine, of course, to pray off the cuff, as it were. But that's a product of our time, our moment, our circumstance. Our personalities would yeah. largely drive those prayers. And then we've all got blind spots and yeah. huge things that we, frankly, just wouldn't think to address. And these prayers that... that in many cases date back hundreds of years and prayers of course in scripture itself yeah. are really important guides. I think it's an interesting part of your story that uh that um reading the prayers and making them your own has is is part of what led you into Anglicanism oh, and, yeah. and it was a big part of your spiritual formation. I think it's really cool. Yeah, I have found in the Anglican liturgy uh and and this uh, you know a lot of ch- every church has a liturgy. It's just your order of service kind That's of. right. That's but, right. But uh no matter what I preach on, something in the liturgy that day, mm. it has been reiterated through the liturgy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not aware of it when I'm preparing the sermon, but then I'll yeah. think, oh, yeah, we Isn't just that prayed, we prayed that, and, and, and it's yeah. reinforcing that. So that's kind of cool to me. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love it. Well, um, Doug, unless we've missed anything here, we, have we kind of covered the bases? Yeah. Okay. Sort of the beginner's guide to Lent. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, for coming, and then I just I just had another thought, and I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot, and we can cut this out if it if your answer is okay. no. But would you come back sometime, maybe uh, on another season of our podcast, and talk to us a bit? And you hinted at it before about how. Um, and um, the reason why I know you can speak well to this is because I went to that silent retreat where oh, you yeah. talked about the seasons, and how uh, Christians in t- in particular have a tendency to uh, run away from the subject of death. And how, in, in fact, that can be the, the awareness of our coming death is actually a huge part of our life yeah. and how we move forward into the world. So I wonder if you'd be willing to come back and maybe hit that subject. Oh, yeah, yeah, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much. Man, I really appreciate that you uh, shared. This has, been, this has been really, really helpful. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. It's a blessing to be here. All right. Thank you.